This week's episode is brought to you in partnership with Zero Procure, who are here to make procurement simple. Zero Procure harnesses a network of specialists to ensure that businesses are working with the right suppliers at the right price. Hospitality Meets is delighted to partner with the Zero Procure team and their network to help keep this podcast accessible and free to listen to. Please get in touch with them for a chat. Just click on their link in the show notes or visit their site at zeroprocure.com forward slash podcast. Welcome to Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street, where each week we take a light-hearted look into the stories and individuals that make up the wonderful world of hospitality. Today's guest is Alexander Schneider, president of Luxury Beach Club and Hotel Rockstars, Nikki Beach. Coming up on today's show... Alex offers Phil a job. Yeah, we, we like you, we think you have potential, so now you're becoming a director of rooms. Phil gets worried that Alex might have divulged too much. Are you sure you want me to air this publicly because it feels like you're giving some of the greatest strategies of business I've ever heard in my life. And Alex makes us all want to check in to a Nikki Beach. We are a barefoot luxury culinary brand that has also oops. All that and so much more as Alex talks us through his incredible career story so far. Where to start with Alex's journey? He's worked in some of the world's most amazing hotels and now sees himself at the helm of one of the most exciting luxury lifestyle brands out there. There's a summary of everything we cover in the show notes and I believe there's something in there for everyone, no matter what stage you're at in your career. One final thing, a short apology for the sound quality in places. Don't forget to give us a like and a subscribe wherever you consume your podcast. Enjoy. And a huge hospitality meets. Welcome to Alexander Schneider. How are you? Very well, Phil. Thank you so much. Great pleasure seeing you again after quite some years. And yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Excited yeah, yeah. to be here. <laughs> yes. Well, I, you know, I am so excited to have you on the show for lots and lots of reasons. One, we have crossed each other's paths once before in our, our lives. But two, your people reached out to, to my people, which is just me, and said, uh, would you like to have Alex on, on the show? And I hadn't actually realized how your career had exploded since we last chatted. So, uh, and especially as you can, you won't be able to see this if you're listening, but you're, you have your emblems right behind your head, uh, Nikki Beach Hotels and Resorts. But I'm going to stop talking now. And I'm going to let you introduce who you are and what it is that you do. Yeah, my name is Alexander Schneider. I'm uh, uh, since 20 odd years uh, doing what I love most, and that's uh, spending a lot of hours of the day in the wonderful world of hospitality. You have to say that for this podcast, for sure. Uh, 100%. No, because uh, it, it's true. I'm, 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 I would say I'm an extremely hedonistic soul. So I'm, I excel at things that I'm good at and I can spend hours and hours and exhaust myself happily there. But at the flip side, I just can't do things that I don't like. So that's why naturally I have to do something on my professional life that I really can identify with. And yes, the, the, these last 20 years have been extremely eventful, but most importantly, they ended up um, currently at Nikki Beach Hotels and Resorts. And since almost seven years, we have been now turning the legacy of one of the most original and first beach club brands in the world um, into hotel concepts, obviously, including the beach clubs and uh, all of their legacy. And I think with that, we accidentally created a concept that the world was waiting for. Right. Quite frankly, when we started, we didn't know that. So we're all the happier to find out now. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what? But this is, this is like uh, one of those moments whereby, you know, they, they always say that the best nights out are the nights that you don't plan. Like they just happen. So here we are. Here is the business version of that. 
<laughs> exactly, exactly. No, it's, 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 it's so interesting because you can imagine when, 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 when we started to go to market with our concept, there was a lot of um, excitement, but always mixed with this, yeah, but you guys are party people and can you really run a serious business? And, and now, funnily enough, COVID was one of the biggest accelerators for us. Because, really? Right. Yeah, the, 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 the world suddenly became more boutique. People wanted more and more to identify themselves with the crowds that they're surrounded with. They, obviously, the open air, the daytime, fresh, fresh air, you yeah. know, nothing that, that makes you feel claustrophobic became more, more important. Um, meanwhile, just before that, our, our pipeline grew very healthily. So it was really the stars aligning, and here we are. Yeah, great stuff. Well, we're, we'll absolutely get into what you have on the cards and what you've got your head into at the moment later on in the in the chat for sure what is your role alex what do you do very good question i i think my role has been changing over the last years obviously in the beginning of any good story you need to have uh, the prequel right uh, you, yeah. you need to you need to basically draft the canvas um, or draft something on the canvas uh, that people like, that makes sense, that obviously is also from a business case reasonable and, uh, and can survive. Then you take this canvas to the market and you show it as many people as you can. And so you collect the feedback and you ideally, uh, you take the market's feedback very seriously and you start to pivot and adapt uh, without losing your true DNA of your concept and then you go into execution and right now I think um, what I'm more and more discovering what I'm good at is, is really building this brand according to the market needs and I think that has been uh, very very important for our last years and our success that we don't want to go to potential investors and owners and dictate them what we think is good but that we, together with the investors and the owners, that we develop custom-made solutions uh, for their locations, for their destinations, obviously supported by our brand and its legacy and all of these good things, but mm. that we really go into this customization because the, I th really believe the last 30 years have been all about standardization. And I think not only the market, but also the investor side is growing tremendously tired of that. Yeah. I, do you know what? I think that's... It's actually really lovely to hear that, you know, it's not a one size fits all approach. Equally, you know, you have a powerful brand, but you're not dictating the brand to anyone. You're just basically taking the, the bones of what you stand for and then looking at the marketplace that you're potentially moving into and saying, based around what we think the market needs, this is what we can do to supply the market desire. 100%. I mean, the entire world talks about now uh, terms of or, or hit words like um, authenticity, experience, lifestyle. But how authentic can you be if you have an SOP of 2000 pages that you basically implement, whether it's China, whether it's the US or whether it's South Africa, right? Mm. I think what we do is we, we love culture. We truly love culture. Um, and we, we love to go to these extremely cultural places like Santorini, Greece, and now we're going to Muscat in Oman. And we really want to reflect this. 
I had this epiphany once when I was working for a different hotel brand and I woke up one morning on a long trip and I truly needed 30 minutes to find out where I was. Right. And this, this was the moment where I said, no, uh, this is definitely, nobody can like that. Nobody should want that. And this was, a bit, let's say for me personally, you know, when, when I understood what I would ideally like to create one. Yeah, that to me says that the everything evolves, right? I mean, and, and actually, uh, this is kind of, I suppose, the McDonald's effect, if you like, in terms of, you know, McDonald's has a, well, in principle, let's say, McDonald's has a uniform way of doing things across whatever McDonald's you walk into across the globe. Obviously, there are some cultural elements that are, are different depending on where you are. But in, in effect, that's, you know, you know what you're going to get. And actually, the hotel world went that way for quite a long time. Brand related, you know, if you're going to stay and forgive me, anybody who's listening from Holiday Inn as an example, but, you know, if you're going to stay in a Holiday Inn, then you kind of know what you're going to get wherever you are in the world. And people became accustomed to that. But now it's like, well, I don't know, I kind of life's for living a bit and I, I need a bit more experience in my life than just, as you say, taking half an hour to fully establish where it is that you are in the world. I, I mean, I, I have to say, I, I believe in, in, a, in a very healthy coexistence, you know, because at the end of the day, hospitality should always remain a customer-driven and customer-centric business, right? And, um, you know, when I think back stories from my father's first trips in the 70s to Moscow, for instance, from Germany, you know, can imagine in the 70s the relationship uh, between back then Bonn, our capital, and Moscow was not not the easiest. And culturally, there was still a lot of things to bridge, and so he would be traveling on business. And for him, the most important part would be to come to an airport where somebody is with a little plate that has his name on it, to go into a car that he thinks is going to take him safely from A to B, check into a hotel where somebody speaks English. Um, to find a room service menu that has food that he deems to be edible and safe. Uh, and then ideally to have a Financial Times or Herald Tribune under the door in the morning that he can read. And then um, to leave that place as soon as he can, right? It was all about safety, security. I want to be in, in an environment that I can trust and so forth. Yeah. And today travel is exactly the opposite, right? It's show me the street market. Um, bring me to a local restaurant. And I want to, even though I'm in business, I definitely want to see one or the other cultural site so that I can, you know, keep something in memory or on my Instagram account that shows that I've yeah. been, right? That I have so a life. I think, yes. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, and that I'm culturally conscious and that, you know, we have all of these, all of these new parameters. And I think naturally this has shifted the needs and wants of travelers, right? Mm. I'm not saying 100% and it's good that it hasn't. Uh, because otherwise we would become a hyper trend that will expire very soon. But you see that there's a certain group of the travelers that, you know, prefer the experience over the standard. And then there's another group that prefers the standard over the experience. And I think both types are equally important. I have to say I learned in some American hotel chains the most important parts of my business life today. And they gave me the basis of my knowledge and I would be forever thankful. But now I think that's the beauty of our business. Now we can start to experiment around the fringes, right? Yeah. Yeah. You have the, you've got the, the, the basics, I suppose, in, in play. 
but that gives you the foundation to really kind of go to town really on on what's possible what you know what 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 are we going to push what are we going to accept that that's the norm la 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 etc etc but um in any case we're 11 minutes in and we've got we just got straight into talking about business but that's not the primary reason why why you're here before you got into what you're doing now there's obviously a, a quite an incredible backstory because you've worked in some pretty amazing places across your career so take us all the way back to the beginning of of your career and how did you get into this wonderful industry in the first place? That's, that's a, a long story, but a fun story, I hope. I will try to keep it as, as short and uh, relevant as possible. But yeah. it, it started at a super early age because uh, I grew up uh, together with my mother and uh, she had her own business. And so let's put it mildly, the time for culinary preparation was always very short and at some point I felt that you know learning how to cook could really improve my quality of life a little bit right um, so so that was just driven by at home life basically you you I would say yeah my my, my 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 grandmother was a very good cook my mother didn't have so much time back then so I was able to understand that there was something better out there and in the German high school system, you have that internship month or two months somewhere in your, I think, ninth grade or 10th grade. So I was roughly around 14, 15. So I said, uh, to hell with it. I'm not going to do coffee or uh, service the coffee machine somewhere. I will go into the restaurant kitchen and I will learn how to cook. Right. Being a typical high, high school brat with 14 years, uh, suddenly entering into the regiment of a kitchen requires a lot of breaking habits but I, <laughs> I honestly I loved it it was the first time you know in these these confusing years of puberty it was suddenly this world where everything was black and white you know either the steak was cooked right or was overcooked or undercooked you know you couldn't bullshit your way out of anything and uh, it gave uh, yeah it gave me really a whole new a whole new north star and and I loved it so I continued working there even my high school years for, for the next two years, two or three times a week, and I really fell in love with cooking. Created my own little catering company when I was 17. Um, and, wow. Uh, and, and Showing the entrepreneurial stuff. spirit early doors, eh? Yeah, yeah. It was, it was, it was, it was great money. I hope the German tax system is not listening. Um, <laughs> so, but uh, then after my high school graduation, I obviously realized that, uh, you know, I need to formalize this a little. So I went to the Culinary Institute in New York Upstate and, and, and did my studies there. And I, I loved it. And again, it was a fantastic place for learning and growing. Um, and then everything changed suddenly. I, I, I joined the Hyatt Hotel Group uh, and in a corporate trainee capacity. And suddenly I learned that I love sales, that I think uh, that uh, I'm good at, at, line, at, at aligning teams and explaining a brand. So I suddenly became a very young director of sales and marketing, I think at the tender age of 25, 26. Right, right, right. And uh, then I said, okay, to hell with it. Now I know F&B, I know sales, so I don't know room. So then back then Hyatt was really an amazing company, I really have to say. So they said, yeah, we, we like you. We think you have potential. So now you're becoming a director of rooms. 
I'm like, okay, why not? So I did a couple of years in rooms, and I think this is until date, and that's the only reason why I'm mentioning it, one of the most important parts of my, let's say, uh, professional backpack that I've seen all of the sides um, of the operation. And I think that, that gives you the ability to sleep at night, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that you really know what you're talking about, that you, that you have been there, that you have done uh, all of these elemental things. Um, and from there, yeah, a, a journey from interesting brands to, to amazing hotels uh, to crazy countries like India started um, and um, brought me at some point into the Middle East to the amazing Emirates Palace, where I spent really two of the most incredible years in my career because I mean, it's the guest house of the UAE. Everybody on the political hemisphere that is, is, is in charge of a country or more is, is coming there. Yeah, um, it's, it's, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to halt yeah. you from moving forward in your story at this yeah. point because I, I don't think people can really fully comprehend that property is otherworldly in terms of uh, size. I can only imagine the logistics. Uh, around it as well, and you were a hotel manager there. Is that is that right? If I... uh, yeah, yeah, I I, I was uh, running all of the operations plus the sales and marketing and lots of the owners relations, uh, and there was a handover of GMs in the meantime. So, was a very uh, very interesting, very influential uh, little role that I had there, and. Uh, yeah, as you rightly said, I mean it's it's the pinnacle of hospitality when it comes to the level of complications. You know, you have on one hand side you have uh, somebody like Barack Obama staying at the hotel, and then you have the German half court tourist staying in the same hotel, right? Yeah. And uh, and then you might have uh, the next day a royal Emirati wedding. So uh, the needs and wants of your different clientels couldn't be more different. Meanwhile, they're all staying under one of the same roof. So yeah. And what was it? I, I can't remember off the top of my head, but I want to say it was like, wasn't it uh, one mile from one end to the other? 1.5 kilometers if you go basically um, the whole U-shape of the building. Yeah, and it has this private marina and it's, 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 it's an amazing place. Um, but with everything, and finally this experience taught me one topic, and it's actually it's common sense, right? You would never go to a restaurant that does uh, Japanese, Mexican, uh, Italian, and French cuisine, right? Because yeah. you would say they can't be good at all of that. And, and I think Emirates Palace was really good at everything, but it wasn't perfect at anything apart from obviously the state, state visitors and all of that. that so yeah, well, that was its purpose, wasn't it, really, I suppose? Is exactly. The, the, so yeah. it was fantastic in what it was built for, but then while branching out, you start to take compromises here and there. It really re-emphasized the message for me, at least for what I like in my life, is, you know, if you want to do something perfect and as good as you can, you really need to have the ability to focus on that one thing. Right? It doesn't mean that you can't do other things on the side, but you know you always need to have your main mission and you always need to have your main vision in order to create a product that is somewhere above the rest of the industry. And that was really a great learning for me there because you know uh, we discussed it earlier before this uh, before we started recording. You know, um, you have people that come to this hotel and they've saved up all of their 
last salad is just for that one week at Emirates Palace, but then suddenly you have the king of, I don't know, of Morocco staying with you. And obviously they are no longer the primary, you know, priority for you. Yeah. Um, and, and then we see the disappointment in their eyes that, that you know, that uh, suddenly somebody else has come that needs a little more attention than them. So I think that's, that's, that's really a good lesson for anyone in this field that if you really want to create a product that creates a new standard, you have to have a very, very steep level. Right. Yeah. No, I, I, I love that. I can, I can totally see that. And, that. and I suppose as well, at the time when that property hit the market, if you like, there really was nothing else like it, right? I mean, it was, uh, it was like an incredibly young, maybe even to this day, there's nothing else like it. I, I, I would say it is uh, second to none um, and it, it will remain second to none. Um, and that's why it's such a fascinating place to be in. Yeah, I can only imagine that that must have been a, a almost a, a daily occurrence that there was a challenge of some kind there. Let's put it this way: sleep was not <laughs> the first priority there. No, it, it was. It was. There's one little fun anecdote. I was living on property, and uh, one day I was leaving the palace gates, and one of uh, my security officers said, "Alex, amazing! Finally, you're getting out of here." And I look at him and I said, "What's this?" He says, no, 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 you, you, you don't get it. You've been here for 95 days without leaving. Really? So, <laughs> so, so, so talk about the golden cage, right? My words, yeah. Uh, yeah it's not, I, and that was actually the time where you and I connected for the first time, I exactly, think. Exactly. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I, it was always one of those uh, properties that I, I looked at with wide eyes. Uh, you know, I, I underneath this, Recruiter is a hotel geek for sure. There's nothing I love more than going into a hotel anywhere in the world and somebody saying, oh, would you like to come behind the scenes and have a look and see what we got up to there? Absolutely, I would, for sure. And I can only imagine, I've never seen behind the scenes at the uh, at the Emirates Palace, but I can only imagine the network of tunnels that must be there to, you know, not tunnels, corridors probably, to make sure that something that needs to get from point A to point N can get there and it doesn't doesn't take two and a half hours to get there i i, I give you a, a fun anecdote in this one as well and when the government of abu dhabi decided to build the new midfield terminal which i think is going to be open soon in abu dhabi they actually sent some of their architects to emirates palace to understand our logistics Really? Because right. they thought, like, this is such an incredible beast and it works so well. Something is done correctly there, so let's learn it. So yeah. that, that shows you if, if, if an airport comes to you to understand your logistics, um, it's complex. Yeah. Do you know, I also remember that time. I, was, I think I was recruiting for you. I think I was possibly recruiting for a director of F&B or, or an assistant director of F&B, I think it was. And we found someone and she also had an, an offer from somewhere else. And I, I was so adamant that she had to take your job because the learning experience that she would experience there would accelerate her career. But she wasn't having any of it. And she went to the other place. I always remember that. And, uh, and as, as it would happen, I don't think uh, her career took off in the way that she was hoping. After that, not that I want to say that I was right, but um, no, no, but, yeah. but I, I think I think uh, from from a, let's say learning and growth perspective, it's I've been always doing this in my life. You know, 
take the complicated job with the little money and take the best out of this job and then apply what you learn for your next job. And then Love trust that. me, at some point the money will be right. But if you if you always try to take the most comfortable, best paid solution, chances that you will be missing something in your little tool bag at some point are pretty big. Yeah, I have I've got personal experience of this actually. And my addition to that would be is that if you are taking something for the money, then you're not fully engaged with the job 100% 100% and I think we, we, we see I think now money for today's younger generations can be replaced with comfort zones um, and I think you know I have my, my, my personal mantra is the more, more important stuff in life always happens outside of your comfort zone um, and I think you know testing your comfort zones and going out of your comfort zones especially in your work life is the very fabric that will get you to places that you probably never thought that you would get. Yeah, and at the risk of sounding incredibly philosophical, you know, we're, we, we get a short time on this planet, don't we? There's so many things to experience. And the more skills and tools you can give yourself, which means that you do have to stretch yourself and you, do, you have to push that comfort zone as wide as it can go. It just means you'll experience more, you know, because you're... Placing yourself into an environment where you're unfamiliar, when that happens to you, which is inevitable, by the way, you know, you're you're more ready for it because you, you know, you've had this experience of dealing with a change environment, dealing with uh, a problem environment or, or whatever. But if you don't tackle these things head on, then, you know, you're just going to live your life running away from experience, basically. Yeah, and, and again, I think the most important recognition today is we're living in a global theater. And yeah. in order to, to, to succeed in a global theater, the one skill that you need to have is appreciating, understanding, and respecting cultures. And I can tell you when I landed with 10 to 30 years in South India and Bangalore, and I had to open up a hotel from scratch, never having been to India before. Um, it was the maximum, you know, stretch of my mental and physical fabric uh, that I could take. But in hindsight, was, was that comfortable? Was that um, a time where I would look back and say, yeah, I, I just love that these mango lassies? No, definitely not. You know, it was, it was a time where I felt desperation, where I felt anxiety, where I felt all of these negative feelings. But Man, did they grow me. Man, that they form to what I am today. And, and I, for me, understanding cultures, especially now running a small but very international footprint of hotels and beach clubs, if I don't understand the culture that I'm operating in, if I don't understand the culture of my investors and where they're coming from and what they're looking for, and if I don't understand the culture of my team, nothing will work. And I think yeah. this is really one of the golden rules of my life is that the understanding of the culture always comes first. And once you understood that, and you're, whether you're comfortable or not, doesn't really matter because the culture is not going to change for you. But once you understood whether you can add something to this culture, whether you can gel with this culture, then you can take the second step. Before that question mm -hmm. is not clarified, don't move. No, no, absolutely. Yeah, well, I mean, 
Back to story, Emirates Palace. Let's park that now because uh, we could, I could probably spend the whole day just talking about that, to be honest. But um, uh, where what happened next? Where did you 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 head after that? I I uh, had uh, to take care of my family um, for a couple of months because we had uh, let's say a health scare in the family, and this is also one of the things in my life that has formed me a lot. Uh, you know, really also understanding when your priorities from one day to the other will change. And in this case, uh, me and my wife were expecting our first daughter, who was unfortunately born with an unhealable heart problem. So we, we had to, to go through that. Um, but again, you know, it's it's the saddest event in my life, but it also taught me how to, 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 to deal with it, how to put your family first, and how to take all of these, you know, much more important things first. And then once you are in a more stable and more safe environment, then to basically restart your life. And, and again, it's one of these things that I never want to go through again, but that helped me a lot in, to being who I am today. Um, yeah. So we returned after that uh, to the UAE, to Dubai, because we felt this was the place that we left and we wanted to reconnect to life. And I took a very interesting job with the Rixos Hotel Group which allowed me not only to expand my knowledge in opening up hotels, but also to understand the, the world of all-inclusive. Okay, right. And, and it's... it's you see, what, what people can't see who are listening to this is that you, you smiled when you said the world of all-inclusive. So I, I feel like there is, without question, a story here. Uh, let's, let's put it this way. I have a lot of respect for this business, and I think it's, it's mesmerizing to see it in its execution. When you look at what I'm doing today, it was probably exactly the opposite. <laughs> right. um, so today I'm here talking about, you know, to have very clearly defined target groups. You need to bring the ultimate uh, cultural lifestyle to your place and execute it there to perfection. And um, just before that, I was, uh, you know, looking at uh, ultra all-inclusive buffets and uh, experiences, which you can imagine have very much their cultural limitations and uh, talk to a very different audience. But jokes aside, it's, it's a very, very important part of our industry and when you go for instance into the caribbean into central latin america it is the business right and i yeah. just came from a conference in in madrid uh, beginning of this week and again i understood that you know there are now levels of executions of that that are just amazing right it's it's just a very very different way of doing business i've actually i had not experienced an all-inclusive package until the winter of 2021, um, when my wife and I just decided to uh, to take a, a week away, because back you know that was now we could do that after a period of not being able to do that for for a while, and we shot off to Cyprus. And I have to say, I, I don't really know why I've not done it before, but there's there's always been something in the back of my mind that says, no, 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 you're not an all inclusive guy. So you know, <laughs> don't do that. I, I have to say, it's 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 one of these industries that is probably unrightfully suffering from a, a negative connotation like 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 a like a business card with a gravy stain on it <laughs> but but it's it's i think it's unjustified but again it's it's like going from a palace into a boutique hotel you know it's just a very different world and, and again i i, I love experiencing it i personally have decided for myself it's probably and uh, not this sort of type of hospitality that I love, but I 
am absolutely respectful of it and I think it has its very important place. And who knows, you know, there might be the very market where I feel that even our brand, you know, if you're on a lonely island uh, somewhere in the Seychelles and nothing, there's nothing to do, uh, that you might want to create packages that are so luxurious and that are so full of choice that they are in definition becoming yeah. package, right? So it's... Yeah. Well, I suppose like in any marketplace, you have all-inclusive and then you've got oh, all-inclusive. Yeah. Inclusive. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, you know, so, and there, as with any area of any business, there are those who do things well and there are those who don't, you know? And so my experience of, uh, of all-inclusive was positive and I, I had a, a really lovely holiday because our objective was to pretty much do nothing. You know, it was to sit on loungers and read books and fall asleep and, you know, and just c catch up with ourselves a little bit. And it had its place for sure in our life at that moment. Couldn't agree more. <laughs> yeah. So, but let's move on. <laughs> let's move on from there. Um, yeah. After Rixos, uh, where did you, where did you head? Yeah, then, then, then really a, a, a almost, uh, you know, a supernatural event happened. I was... Uh, uh, in Dubai, it was Ramadan, so the holy month. And um, I was uh, with my wife at the hotel that she was working at. And suddenly somebody taps me on the shoulder and says, uh, Alex, haven't seen you for a long time. And he was my former F&B director of Emirates Palace. So everything leads back to Emirates Palace, it seems. Um, and I said, oh my God, what are you doing here? He says, I'm here with a guy that you have to meet. I said, okay. It's Ramadan, so, uh, you know, there's not much to do. I would love to. And I said, who is it? He says, it's Jack Penrith, the founder of Nikki Beach. And I'm like, oh, my God, I definitely need to meet this gentleman. So during Ramadan, in a iftar, you know, the fast breaking, I meet Jack Penrith for the first time. Uh, right. And his entire uh, business uh, acquaintances and partners. We start chatting and there, is, there was an instant chemistry and uh, he said, Alex, we are, we, are, we are thinking taking this brand into uh, the realm of resorts and hotels. What do you think? And I said, well, I think it's amazing. Obviously, you need to be mindful of how you take the energy of a beach club and how you translate it into a hotel so that you don't end up at an Ushuaia sort of style across the world uh, because with that, have a very short shelf life, I think. He says, this all sounds very interesting. I take it to the construction site. So that was the first time I set foot onto back then a very rudimentarily built Nikki Beach Dubai, um, which was right. uh, just coming out of the dirt, as we say, in construction. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's the sand there, though, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, yeah, we, we started a very philosophical conversation about where hospitality is going, um, you know, where he started. I mean, Jack Penrith's story is, is, I mean, when I look at my story and his story, I'm like in the kindergarten, you get these playing with the champions, right. all the things that he did in this life. I really need to hurry up to even come close to that. But um, we both started talking about that food and beverage is really the essence of any hotel experience and it's not your bed it's not your shower head you know how we used to travel in the olden days and the first thing that you would look for is a place to eat and then you would look for a place to sleep afterwards 
but you would never sleep before you eat. So long story short, um, we agreed that we should work together. And that was pretty much uh, seven years and six months exactly today. Wow. Wow, wow, yeah. wow. Right. I, yeah. I, I, joined, I joined the company late. Uh, yeah, I, I joined the company, I think, in a couple of weeks. It's exactly seven years ago. Uh, because obviously I had to bring my project at uh, Rixus uh, to a successful end. Yeah, and since then, step by step, uh, we built what we are looking at today. Fantastic. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I, I, I kind of almost want to stand up and give you a round of applause, but the because um, it, it's it's one hell of a career so far. You know, it almost feels like it, it's definitely one of those stories that is all roads lead here. You know, like this is the brand that has been waiting for you. Uh, kind of thing. If you've been there seven and a half years, clearly you're a good fit for each other uh, in that regard as well. And what's your what's your job title now, Alex? Um, my official title is um, the president of the oh God, Nikki Beach Global President Hotel Division. Uh, it's it's a long one, but at right. the end of the day, I, I feel extremely blessed and uh, obliged to you know to what I. It's called the legacy of Nikki Beach um, and everything that Jack and his wife Lucia Pembert have created until date. And, and I think if you ask me what my main job is really to, 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 to further nourish and protect that legacy because it's such a beautiful story and it has so many touch points. And I think, you know, what we do in the hotels and resorts uh, part is, is, you know, perhaps really ensuring the next 20 to 30 years for this brand. Now I could start talking a lot about brands and hospitality and what I believe is good and what is bad. But uh, just from our own standpoint, we believe that, you know, real brands need a lot of time to develop. You know, you, you need a lot of micro and not only macro in order to get this whole 360 that a brand has. And when you look at the luxury realm, most of the brands, if we take Hermes, if we take Louis Vuitton, if we take Chloe Chanel, you name them, none of them are new brands, right? They've all been around for decades, in certain cases, centuries. And, and, yeah. and the legacy is what brings the value, right? And I think, not I think, I would wish that sometimes in hospitality, we take legacy a little more seriously. Interesting. I I, I hear you because I, I, I think a lot of times, and this all, always depends on ownership, of course, but, uh, you know, a, a lot of time it's just literally about the balance sheet, right? I, 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 I think legacy and balance sheets coexist beautifully. I, I think uh, what doesn't sit well together is rapid scaling and legacy, for instance. Yeah. Um, I think what doesn't sit well together is legacy and compromises. But on the flip side, and this is what we see, especially in the last two years, what is amazing is legacy and talent. You know, uh, we need to understand people are no longer lo looking for jobs or for work. People are looking for brands that they can identify themselves with. And if you have a true legacy and you live it in every day, and you're true to it as a brand, especially in the interaction with your talent, you will see all of this discussion. I mean, money is always important, let's face it, but you know, your turnover will start to slow down. You know, 
your talent growth, your organic talent growth will accelerate, your product will become better, and you will see people on the floor that really care for what they do because they just love the brand that they're working for. Yeah. And when you put it like that, it's not difficult. No. <laughs> Although it is. But, um, but you know, in princ- the principles, the principles are exactly right in terms of, you know, the, the, and this has been overlooked for a very long time, I think. It's only now, really, that we're, we're not even just the industry, but the world, really, is beginning to appreciate that actually the, that somebody's experience at work is, as, is a major part of why they work in the first place. Oh, 100% plus, I believe, at least the part of hospitality that we're uh, active in is always going to stay a super analog business. We will always be the people's business, right? Yeah. Because um, the intuition, the, the, the reading of, you know, behaviors of guests, um, at least I hope that no algorithm will ever be able to replace them. But one thing that is a fact at least until now, when you look through any TripAdvisor, Google rating, whatever rating, the most negative and the most positive comments that you get are always about people. Yeah. Right? It's, it is food quality, I would put it almost at number two by now, but service quality is always number one. You know, how often do you read, you read probably about a broken shower head, but how often do you read about, they didn't have a 300 euro shower head in this room and that's why I don't think it was a good hotel. Exactly. Nobody, nobody writes that, right? But yeah. when you look at many of the operating standards and, and brand standards of many hotel groups, it's that 300 euro shower head that is the make or break on whether they sign a contract or not. So, right. you know, I think our standards should be about talent and talent and talent and talent and if we get that right we will in general have a better field of hospitality globally yeah absolutely and i've spoken to about this subject with so many people on on this podcast and away from it around the fact that you know actually you have the simple ethos of happy people in your business make happy guests but you know that what you were talking about there with regards to tripadvisor comments uh, and the like Ultimately, the service element is that is the point really where that's how you're making your guests feel. You know, nobody walks into a hotel room and goes, wow, the shower head is the only reason I came on this trip, as we were talking about before we, exactly. we, uh, we turned it on. You know, it's that old cliche around it's the best legacy you can leave is how you make somebody feel when they're they're in your presence and that all comes from how you serve them whether that's an individual one-to-one basis or whether you're rolling out a, a service standard to you know your 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 entire portfolio yeah and, and i think let's face it for young people in any professional empowerment is the absolute motivator right and and i think yeah. this is why we have seen, especially in the last 15 to 20 years, such a drop in interest in, in what we do, because again, we're circling back to the standardization, right? But if I look back at my career and how I started as a trainee, as a sales manager, as whatever, if I would repeat my career, I would probably get fired now every day, right? <laughs> because back then there was a level of empowerment that was 
amazing that motivated me i was taking decisions you know and when yeah. i felt that a, a complaint was justified i could void whatever i wanted to void and i could void it without writing a three-page justification or go about getting the the card from my supervisor because only he was allowed to void a transaction Mm. Um, you know, if I felt that a client had to be entertained a little more special because they had this huge piece of business that I really wanted, I could take this decision without going to my revenue manager and asking them whether I could have a comp room for tonight. Right? Yeah. And, and I think we, we, we need to understand, yes, do more mistakes happen? Perhaps. Yes. Do you have a little less control? Yes, perhaps. But will you have a better product at the end? 120%. Absolutely. You've, you've conjured up so many memories of my own journey, which I'm not going to bore anybody with. Today. <laughs> it, you're so right. I, when I was, um, I, I, again, I've spoken to many people about this on, on this podcast. When I was in my career infancy, really, I was getting promoted quickly a lot. And a lot of that I didn't appreciate at the time because you're just living the the job that's around you. And But I look back on it now and think, you know, people were helping me grow before I felt I was ready for myself. But then I look at some of the, as you were saying there, the decisions that I was allowed to make as a 23-year-old with, you know, not a lot of experience. It's it's quite remarkable. And I, so I completely get your point. I think it's such a a really overlooked discussion point. And I don't think I've, that's ever come up really as a discussion point on one of the shows before. But uh, yeah, maybe that's a, a discussion point for future shows for sure i think it's a belter i mean the, the more you love your job the more you know you have an emotional attachment to what you do and i mean what can kill this emotional attachment and all of the motivation is when you feel belittled when you feel that you always need to ask for everything right i mean that's that's yeah. that that's that's the opposite of what creates positive emotions, right? It, it, yeah. it creates anxiety, it creates nervousness, it creates the sensation of not being good enough, right? And, and, I, and I mean, you don't need to be a psychologist to know that, especially in our uh, generation XYZ and so on and so forth, that, you know, the emotional component is the key driver. So as long as we don't, you know, foster these emotional drivers, don't wait for people to knock on your door. Totally. And equally comes back to the service element you made earlier on, you know, a, a leader's duty is to serve his team or her team or whoever's team. hundred percent. And I believe that's why Italian restaurants do so well, because you always get that bloody grappa at the end, right? Um, <laughs> but it, it, it's, it's the most generic of all gestures, right? However, you end your evening after you paid the bill with the gesture of gratuity, right? Yeah. So I can tell you there are not too many German cuisine restaurants where you get anything at the end, right? Uh, but right. but it's, 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 again, I mean, we, we always say we live in the world of hospitality. How many hotel guests get a present after they checked out? Yeah, I know. And do you know what? You've, you've, you're conjuring up so many memories, Alex. It's wonderful. This is all about the the feeling of, well, that, exactly that, how you're made to feel. I remember being in a, in a restaurant in Slovenia and uh, such a wonderful experience. I can only remember the experience was amazing because the guy who was serving us was so incredibly engaging. 
like really seemed to care about us, you know, but wasn't overpowering or anything like that. We paid the bill and they came out with a, a, a blueberry liqueur, which was a Slovenian speciality at the end, once we'd paid. And we all had a shot of this and we were like, wow, that's incredible. And he went, well, here's a bottle of it to take away with you. And we were like, yeah, wow. You know, and I, and I recount this story because it's I, I'm, this is six years on from that experience. Still one of the most amazing experiences that I can remember uh, in any service environment. Yeah. And not because not just because we got free alcohol, I have to say, but just because the um, that helped. But the uh, yeah, but everything yeah. else. But, but, but I, I give you now exactly the opposite, which happened to me uh, not too long ago. I checked out of a hotel and I love the stay. Um, and then I get 24 hours later, I get an email and, and I'm like, ah, this is probably one of these satisfaction surveys, whatever yeah. emails. But, you know, I, I'm a hotelier. I always, I, I'm always curious uh, who, who wants to communicate why and how. So this email, no, this email was, in a, I have to say, written in a very elegant manner, but basically was informing me that the gin and tonic set up in my room that really looked like an amenity and was not an amenity and that they happily just charged me 25 euros for it. Oh, right. Thanks very much. So, so I'm like, yeah, this is... Honestly, I have to say that the hotel was absolutely amazing, so I will always return. But I thought, like, probably that gin and tonic on your balance sheet is not going to do a lot. Um, but what are the chances? You know, shall I argue now and say, well, this looked like a blah, 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 blah. No, obviously you. You pay and you move on, right? But it's exactly yeah. the opposite of your blueberry decor, uh, uh, right? Yeah, totally. And and it's also again, how does that? Your you you had a great experience at the hotel, and it's not going to affect your desire to go back. But how many people do look at that and go, really? You're what? This is what you're concerned about? See, but this is this is what I think again, where we need to relook at the definition of luxury or luxury lifestyle, hospitality, or everyone. You know, yeah. luxury for me entails the term generosity. You know, uh, true luxury is choice. True luxury is really also, you know, the sensation that I'm getting something extra for all the money that I pay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, there's one beautiful uh, field that understood it very well in its bank. You know, if you go to a very expensive private bank, they will make sure that you will get a lot of reasons to stay you know you get invited to things you get you know your christmas tie or whatever you know they understood that you need to give back at some point right yeah um and i think you know again this giving back is such such an important part of what we do and what we should do and i think obviously at nikki beach we're not perfect but i think we, we learned that this generosity and this empowerment of really making problems go away is really such an important part of our everyday job, you know, because mm. no lobby design, no, again, no 250 euro uh, uh, French ceramic plate is going to make a complaint go away or a bad meal go away. But yeah. a heartfelt gesture, an immediate response, again, also empowering everybody to make a decision so that I mean, how bad is this feeling? I mean, nobody likes to complain, apart from some very interesting individuals. But <laughs> let, 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 let's assume nobody wants to complain, likes to yeah, complain yeah. in general, um, at the center of society, let's call it. 
Um, and then we muster all of our strength and, you know, say, sorry, it was really not good. And I mean, I, I, for me, this is an extremely stressful moment to do something like that. And all we want in this moment is, first of all, a little bit of empathy and then perhaps a solution. Yeah. But if somebody then says, oh, let me ask the supervisor, and then the second person comes, and you need to yeah. go through this cringing moment again. To, yeah. And by now, half of the restaurant is looking. And <laughs> then the chef comes to tell you that it was actually medium well and not overcooked. And by now, you're really at the end of your confidence and your comfort zone, and it just becomes a horrible, horrible scenario. And I mean, yeah. that. We need to learn that is not the way how to deal with problems, you know? No, I, I, but that comes back to probably some basic psychology of how and why things escalate. And actually your point around, you know, just having some empathy and actually having a solutions-based approach, which is not based around, I can't handle that, so I'm going to go and get somebody else who can, you know, has, has its place. I, I was listening to something recently, a, another podcast, where they were talking about our day is full of micro stress points basically and it all starts when you wake up when the if the alarm goes off that's a stress point because you're stressing yourself into an alert state now if the second thing you do is then to look at your phone it's also a stress point because you haven't woken up and so on and so forth and all of the these extra things that happen that you maybe don't give too much credit for when you're in the midst of doing it but actually then take that scenario where you have a, a guest who's unhappy with the standard of whatever it is that, that that's come out and in this case we were talking about a steak as an example you're just if you're not empowering people to deal with that in the moment then you're just adding extra stress points to that individual 100 percent, 100 percent. i mean and that's at the end of the day our industry needs to understand we are not running nuclear power plants yeah. nothing <laughs> that we could possibly do is gonna have a really dangerous effect on anything, you know? Yeah. The consequences of our daily actions couldn't be more, how can I say, mild. Um, I don't want to say irrelevant because they're not irrelevant, but um, our Im the impact of whatever we do is not going to change the world tomorrow, right? Yeah. So why are we caught in this world that we want to control everything, you know? Um, yeah. Because I think... A lot of hospitality is letting go, you know. Give your waiters, give your front desk, give your housekeepers, you know, give them the chance to do something. And yes, they will make mistakes, yeah, and, and then you can still revisit them. But then you can revisit them in a positive attitude. You can say, listen, you thought that this was a great idea. Now let me just explain you why it wasn't so great. And then probably just that moment you learned something. But yeah. first, at least you had the chance to try. And I think yeah. this is what everybody's looking for these days. And that's what I'm looking for every day. You know, I love yeah. my job because I can create something, because I can make mistakes. I can learn from my mistakes. And I, then after that, I can create a better product. Mm. And I think this starts in the kitchen and everywhere um, and ends at the C-suite. Absolutely. Man, I, I feel like I could talk business with you forever. So that's... <laughs> That's the Emirates Palace we could talk about all day and business <laughs> that we could talk about all day. But um, yeah, well, I I, I want to, I, I suppose in the fullness of things, we have been speaking about Nikki Beach because this is obviously things that you really truly stand for. 
and I would therefore assume that you're, you know, you live in, and and breathe these things that we're talking about in your in what you're trying to achieve at Nikki Beach. A hundred percent. I think this is this is again this is a little bit also the legacy of a brand. You know, I mean, we we deal with clients that we can't really impress, right? Because they they most of them have the ability to buy almost everything that they like, um, and they can afford a lot. So the question is, how do you impress somebody that can't be impressed? And yeah. very often the simple <laughs> answer is, give him a blank canvas where he can decide what to do. Because let's face it, the more successful you are in life, the less time you have, the less freedom you have, because you always stand for something. Every action has a reaction. So give yeah. them the space to have actions without reactions. You know? Okay, I mean, every every three liter bottle of champagne has a reaction at some point. But, you know, um, at the end, you know, and I think this is, this is what we are really good at creating these canvases, creating these bandwidths of energy. You know, uh, we, we are, and a lot of people get this wrong, we're not a party brand. You know, if I would coin it, we are a barefoot luxury culinary brand that has also rooms. Um, right. And, and we, we, we create, you know, for every person, the opportunity to behave exactly the way they want to behave. For instance, take me. In the morning, I'm a horrible introvert, right? I, I, that's why I need to go to the gym for an hour or so, because really I am the most acidic uh, person in the world in the morning. Don't talk to me. Well, leave me I'm glad we didn't do this podcast then, then. That was interesting. I start early. I start early. So, so <laughs> we're, we're, we're in the middle of the green zone. No. But yeah. and then, depending on the day, and I think every person is a little bit the same, you know, um, your mood changes, your, 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 your needs and wants are changing. Obviously, a lot of what you experience during the day forms, you know, your, your mood for the hours to come. Until unless you're the perfect yogi who's always in, in balance. Um, and I feel many hospitality concepts don't respect that. Mm. You know, I've been to places that are so party um, and where you have this feeling like, oh my God, if I'm not in a good mood, I shouldn't be here. You know, I'm, I'm the alien, <laughs> you know, I'm the persona yeah. non grata. You know? um, <laughs> or then you go to these places that are so beautiful, that are so tranquil, that are so, you know, so, yeah, so zen that during breakfast, if you drop your fork, you want to stab yourself with the knife that you have left <laughs> because you just ruined the entire experience, right? And yeah, yeah. so, as, as they always say, you know, everything in moderation, even moderation, right? I believe, you know, we are facing, especially in the high net worth and ultra high net worth clientele, we are facing people that want to do what they want, when they want, how they want to do it. And the moment you create a bandwidth where that covers, let's say, a multitude of these different energy fields, you have a beautiful product on your hands. And it has obviously the ability to be a lot more flexible you know, in terms of fulfilling guest needs and wants, then if you just say, okay, we are the Zen resort, we are the party resort, and anything between really doesn't matter for us. Yeah, absolutely. So what do what do you have in play at the moment in terms of what, what is your portfolio and where are you going? What's what's happening next? 
Um, we, we currently have five hotels under operation, ranging from Kosamui over Dubai. Um, then we are uh, two hotels in Greece, in beautiful Santorini and uh, in Porto Hen. Um, and then we are also operating in uh, Montenegro, one of my favorite destinations. Meanwhile, we have um, a pretty wide pipeline uh, coming. Um, as you might have read, we are opening hopefully this year um, in Oman, in Muscat, uh, in Yeti, which is going to be an absolute magnificent location and destination. Um, but I think what is interesting, um, and again, it has a lot to do with the brand's legacy. Uh, for instance, when, when Jack and Lucia decided to open up the first Nikki Beach outside of uh, America in Saint-Tropez almost 23 years ago. They went to a place called Ramatuel, which back then nobody really knew. Everybody knew the, the north beach uh, or the north part of the beach, you know, closer to Saint-Tropez town. But Ramatuel was just, you know, woods and sands and nobody really knew about it. Now everybody knows Ramatuel because it's the coolest part of Saint-Tropez. Right. You know, when we opened, for instance, in Dubai, as I just said, it was one of my entry points to the brand. You know, everybody came to me and said, Alex, you're just such an idiot. You know, you're taking this completely unknown hotel brand, obviously known beach club brand, but completely unknown hotel brand into one of the most vicious hotel markets in the world. Um, plus, you are not an Atlantis, um, you know, you're not a Four Seasons, um, you are in this Pearl Jumeirah that nobody has ever heard of, part of town. How do you think that you will survive? And I said, well, you, you just gave me all of the reasons why I will survive, because I'm doing exactly the bloody opposite from what everybody else is doing, right? And uh, so I'm the guy that suddenly leaves the parade. Uh, so obviously, a lot of people will look at me and say, what the hell is he doing? Right? And if you do that right, then, then you have a chance of success. And now, for instance, a lot of people ask me again, they said, Alex, Nikki Beach in Oman, how is that going to work? And I said, well, that's exactly why it is going to work. You know, we had the yeah. first, you know, um, we had the first energetic brand really to go there that, that has all of these touch points, these, you know, our elements from music, entertainment to to art, movie, and so on and so forth. And, and, and that's why it's the first product of a kind in one of the most beautiful touristic markets in the world. And as you ask me, what is coming next? I think we will always go to places where people would expect us least. Yeah, I was going to say, it feels like almost if somebody's going to say to you, Alex, why are you going there? That's, that's mad. You go, right, well, that's exactly why we're going there. <laughs> I think anti-cyclical behavior is something that I always liked um, because it's, like it's, it's yeah. it, when you look also at investment strategies, they, they, they work very often that way. For me, it has a deeper meaning. It has the meaning of being really relevant where we go. You know, I, I don't want to name places in the world now, but there are many places that are so overhyped now that if I bring the brand there, I'm just following the parade and nobody will see me this parade anymore. But I can tell you when we opened in Santorini on the island, which is exclusively for honeymooners and people that just stay two nights there, uh, because A, it's so expensive and B, because there's so little to do. When we brought the brand there, again, everybody's like, Alex, you, you got it all wrong. You need to be in Mykonos. That's the party. Island. Santorini is not the party. Island. And I said, no, again, you, you just, 
gave all of the foundation to my family and that's why I want to be in Santa Rini because I'm going to be the first now yeah. a Nobu hotel is opened um, you know a lot of other lifestyle brands are coming over because they saw yes very often to go where your offer is non-existent will ensure that your offer is relevant yeah 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 I'm, I'm going to ask you a very straight up question. Are you sure you want me to air this publicly? Because it feels like you're giving some of the greatest strategies of business I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> See, there is, there, I, 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 heard that, uh, I heard this term first. Um, I think it was in, uh, in, in connection, I think it was with Tesla, that you have an innovative advantage and you can actually measure that with time. Um, so I think our innovative advantage when it comes to the selection of destinations and the ones that we've already nailed down that I unfortunately can't talk about is, is large enough that I could, that I could uh, you know, survive that uh, loss of intelligence that I'm just creating. Very good. Very, very good. Uh, no, that's, I mean, that's brilliant. Really, really brilliant. And I, I, I was very, very excited to have this chat with you today, but you've absolutely delivered way more than my expectation you said to me at the beginning before we just before we switched the microphone on let's let's create some relevant content i was like yeah let's do it and we have done it um so i um i salute you and i I, you've definitely created a fan out of me in terms of what your brand stands for and where you're going um and i wish you guys all the the greatest success that you clearly clearly deserve Thank you so much, Philin, especially coming from you. Uh, it means a lot to me. And uh, again, it's, it's, uh, it's a, you know, we will always need to improve uh, and we will always improve, but it seems that we are somewhere going in the right direction. Yeah, absolutely. And I know that sounded like I was wrapping things up, but there's a couple of questions I have for you yet. Oh, so wow, okay. <laughs> I was just, I was wrapping up the Nikki Beach part uh, of the conversation, but yeah. I, I absolutely cannot let you go without retracing our steps back to India. And sorry to bring this up again, because I know you talked about it like it was you know, one of life's greatest traumas. But there's a story that you very kindly filled me in before we got to the microphone around the opening. So I'd, I'd love for you to tell the world this, this snippet of problem solving. See, I mean... Again, it, it brings it brings us back to cultures, and I, I need to correct one thing that you said. It, it, it wasn't a trauma; it was much more an awakening. Let's call it. It okay. was really yeah, yeah. an awakening um, in the beginning, a rude awakening, but it was a consistent <laughs> awakening. No, so I mean, you know, it, I think hospitality is such a cool industry to be in because you always will meet the unexpected. Right? And, and we always talk about mise en place and how you prepare for everything. But uh, let's face it, you can't possibly yeah. prepare for everything. Totally. So, yeah. so um, yeah, Bangalore it sits nestled in one of the most beautiful parts of southern India. And it's a very religious part of the country. Probably the entire country is very religious. But, you know, Hinduism is basically you know guiding you through the entire day. And it especially guides you through a hotel opening. And one of the most important parts, and I love these moments, where the pujas, pujas are basically blessings of parts of the buildings, and pujas are done in India, in the, in the Hindu sense, in all of the, let's say, most relevant uh, areas of the hotel that can be something like diesel generator, um, but it's definitely going to be kitchens, right? Yeah. So we all gathered 
and I always made it a point of attending all of these pujas uh, because for me it was a sign to show my respect to the culture and to the religion. Um, and we had the the, the priest uh, uh, coming over, and I mean you you should see this. Probably I will send you later a picture that I still have. You know, I mean the entire kitchen was smelling of jasmine and garlands and flowers. It was just decorated so beautifully. There were these um, these these patterns that are made from the rice and colored sands on the floor. And it was a complete transformation of that sterile kitchen. And we, yeah. so we all gathered and our executive chef, Amitab, he was, he was very, very religious. And he was an amazing chef, amazing chef. And we gathered and, and the priest started his chant. And nobody knows why, but as I said, there were lots of fruits um, on displayed because obviously you, you pray for for, for great days, if you want to, 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 to sacrifice something. And for whatever reasons, one of the, I don't know whether it was a pineapple or whether it was a melon, started to roll from the shelf. And while it was rolling, it started to fall and it knocked over a goddess statue. And then the goddess statue fell to the floor and just exploded into thousands. Nice, yeah. So that was our main <laughs> kitchen. It was the worst omen. That could ever be. I mean, the, the, the priest simply left. Everybody left. Nobody wanted to be in this place anymore because it was clearly cursed. Yeah. Um, and that was uh, one week prior to the opening of the hotel, and we did <laughs> this kitchen. So oh, here, here is a thirty odd year old, you know, very junior GM trying to convince all of his very faithful colleagues that. This wasn't a bad omen and that we sort of need to try to overcome this because otherwise we are not going to serve a lot of food in this hotel. Yeah. Long story short, we opened with the main kitchen with a lot of insecurity and a lot of people kept coming to me, showing me milk that turned and said, see, Alex, it is, it is cursed because this milk turned <laughs> prior to the expiry date. But again, and honestly, it was a very humbling, a, a very funny yet humbling exercise because it showed me, you know, sometimes things happen that you just don't have in your playbook and then you need to grow with them. Yeah, well, you, you definitely didn't. That's not in any playbook anywhere, I think. And now you're also highlighting the fact that amongst all of the other skills that you can learn in hospitality, you can also become a religious diplomat. Um, I, unbelievable. Again, it, it, it all comes down to appreciation and management of cultures. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. I've been I've been so keen to hear that story since you wrote it down on paper ahead of time. And um, that, yeah, I, I can only imagine. But yeah, as you say, your 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 learning experience or your learning opportunity was definitely large in that moment. Hundred percent. Fantastic. Well, a final question before I let you go. What three reasons would you give as to why somebody should come and work in hospitality? Meeting cultures, um, really making, I mean, it sounds like a cheap one, but giving people a great time, making people happy. You know, I think that's, that's, that's fantastic. And then, uh, you know, seeing the world, um, I think this is, when you put this together, you, know, you have a job where you can make other people happy. And usually when you make other people happy, it sort of makes you happy at some point. Yeah, yeah. I think there's, a, there's actually a, sci a scientific response. There's a, chem a chemical response that happens when that happens. 
hundred percent. There, there is a transgression from one happiness to the other. That's why it's so intoxicating, right? Um, and and then you you can do that anywhere in the world. And meanwhile, you it's the best preparation for anybody to become a global nomad or a global citizen, right? I mean, tell me one other job where you can meet so many different people in so many different situations and let's face it globalization is not going to stop you know we all need to become global citizens because we, we are learning it these days more than ever right that yeah you know uh, isolated wars um, are not isolated wars you know they, they might happen in ukraine and suddenly you have in africa no more grain so this this sensation of I'm staying in my hometown and, and with that I'm safe and nothing will happen to me is not going to apply. You need to understand the world. You need to become a global citizen in order to meet the, tomorrow's global challenges. And I think hospitality has exactly that in it. Absolutely. And I think it, it, it just to add, I think it just it just makes you a, a kinder human being. And I think um, with kindness, we can... We can save the world. There we are. There's a bit of philosophy again because I'm still too far away. You, 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 you just, we should stop it here. You know, then yeah. can't get better than that. <laughs> Indeed. I'm going to retire now. That's, that's exactly right. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you so much, Alex. I massively appreciate your time. And uh, as I, I just echo my comments earlier on, I, I'm really excited to see where you get up to next uh, and wish you and, and everyone at Nikki Beach all the very best for the future. Thank you so much. Have a lovely day. And again, thank you so much for having me on. And let's see where our paths cross next. Indeed. Fantastic. Take care. Until then. Bye. Cheers. And there we have it. I hope you enjoyed this chat with Alex as much as I did. He really dropped so much gold in this chat and what a career he's had to date. I, for one, will certainly be keeping an eye on what Alex and Nikki Beach get up to next. I'll be back again next week with more stories from hospitality. But until then, thanks so much for listening. And I'll see you next week.